This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Hello, this is Jonathan Sims, creator of Floating Bunnyhead, and you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 478 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Baum. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. For too many years now, Matt and I have shared one body, thanks to an ancient curse placed on us by the Ziggurat we discovered under Omaha. Instead of using our powers for good, or even to make some cash... We shoot our nerdy opinions directly into your ear holes. It's one of our powers. It's gross. In this landmark episode, we've got reviews of this week's comics. We're also going to talk about our comic picks for next week, and then we'll jump into the wizard Wayback Machine to visit comic book culture in the dark ages before the internet even existed. Um, I don't know about that. But before we start making our Oscar picks for our annual Oscar party, where I routinely whip Joe's ass and take his money, we better talk about this week's Nerd News! Nerd News. Sandman co-creator Neil Gaiman will oversee a new DC Comics imprint comprising four new series set in the continuity of his classic series. Not Vertigo, though. Yeah, no, it's Vertigo. It, it is Vertigo. Yeah, they're all, they're all labeled Vertigo. Oh, okay. See, I so, thought this was like something completely separate. It's like it's it's like a corner of Vertigo. It's oh, like its okay. own. Yeah. This is going to kick off with a one-shot titled Sandman Universe on August 8th. The one-shot will bring new creators to Sandman, including writers Nalo Hopkinson, Cat Howard, Cy Spurrier, and Dan Waters, who will all contribute to the one-shot, which will be plotted by Gaiman. And then each one of those writers will spin off into their own series afterwards. Bilkis Evley is going to draw the one shot. Jay Lee's on the cover. Love Bilkis Evley. I do too. And she was uh, thrilled. She made the announcement on uh, Twitter and was like losing her mind. <laughs> She's like, I can yeah. finally talk about it. <laughs> uh, shout out to Newsarama for being the only uh, news outlet that reported it without getting her name wrong. What do you mean? Everybody else spelled they, it wrong? They all they all reported it as Bilkis Everly. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, like, I can understand why Entertainment Weekly might not exactly have that right, but CBR should have known better. My guess is if you type in Evely, it autocorrects to Evely. Autocorrects, right. Let's yeah. find out. No, it does not. Well, I don't, it doesn't have mine anyway. I don't know. Well, you've, <laughs> type, you've typed her name before, though, so. Yeah, uh, perhaps that's it. My computer is nerdy enough to know. Here's a quote from Gaiman. Uh, Overture is a Sandman prequel and a Sandman sequel. It's kind of all over the place. <laughs> and there's sequel stuff in Sandman Endless Nights, so the story carries on. But it's a huge sandbox with so many wonderful toys that nobody's getting to play with right now. I started feeling guilty. I liked the idea of getting the toys played with again, reminding people how much fun this is, and also getting the opportunity to work with some fantastic writers. And toys and uh, playing. And also, I really enjoy... All of the money that I'm going to be making from this. Uh, that part is not part of the quote. No. Uh, in the one shot, Dream goes missing, sending the Dreaming into disarray. For those who don't know, that, Dream is the main character of the Sandman. His name is Dream. Yes. Uh, and then the Dreaming is the realm where he lives in. Yes. From that story, four series will launch following the various threads of that story, uh, including a mysterious third house. In the Dreaming exists the House of Secrets and the House of Mysteries. And the Secret House of Mystery Love. And this <laughs> new uh, house is called the House of Whispers. What? Yeah. Ew. Spinning out of the one shot, the fourth series will feature uh, a new volume of Books of Magic about the wizard Tim Hunter. Love Books of Magic. Man, I the love that book. Cy Spurrier is going to write The Dreaming, which will feature the supporting characters from... Uh, Sandman's world, like Matthew the Raven and Merv Pumpkinhead, uh, who I, I love the dreamings. Yeah. The, the characters in the dreaming are awesome. Perfect for Sice Burrier, too. He's, he's oh, yeah. just yes. a big enough weirdo to pull it off. Hopkinson is going to write House of Whispers, 
which will examine the origin of this new house. And then there will be a new Lucifer series written by Dan Waters. There will be a new Lucifer series written by Dan Waters. Okay, I don't know who uh, Dan Waters is. I don't either. I think these are all, other than Cy Spurrier, I think most of these people might be new to come. Yeah, I don't recognize a lot of these names. Uh, the cover to Lucifer is so great because he's got this like gorgeous flowing auburn beard. Oh, <laughs> like my. he looks like a woolly lumberjack. Oh, okay. Uh, they haven't really announced any artists yet other than Bilkis Evely. And so this is going to kick off in August. I think it's great. DC and Vertigo have had a hands-off policy. Sure. On Sandman, unless Gaiman wants to be involved. Uh, and it's so cool that he, he says, you know what? Let's have other people play with it for a while. No, and you want to give Vertigo a push. A Sandman universe is a great way to do it. And it shows they're serious about this new Vertigo thing that they've sort of gently restarted recently. And we've reviewed several of these new Vertigo books have come out, and they've been a lot of fun. I think this is mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, it really makes me wonder why they don't uh, treat Alan Moore's stuff with the same respect that they do Neil Gaiman's. You know, yeah, it's it's hard to know, and I don't know if it's just because like his stuff was before, and the mess was too big, and Gaiman never made that mess, or it, you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit and talk smack about Alan Moore. We all know he's a crazy person, but I think he's also a very prickly crazy person. Where it seems like Neil Gaiman's a really nice guy. <laughs> so um, I don't, I don't I, know. <laughs> I also think part of it is that they're. I think there might be very little interest in new Sandman material that is not at least sort of involving Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like, nobody nobody wants to... Like, when they moved Hellblazer to the to the main DC universe, right? Like, nobody wants to read Jeff Johns' Sandman. No. Uh, they, we, we want Neil Gaiman's Sandman in the Vertigo universe being right. super weird and all that comes with it. And, yeah, I think you're right. It, it's... Every time Sandman comes back, it, it's it's a huge sales boost. Yeah. From the Marvel desk, we talked about it a little bit last week, but we need to dig into it here. Marvel's fresh start, which sounds to me like marriage counseling, if you will. Right, yeah. It's time for a fresh start, baby. <laughs> Look, I know things have been rough, but every Wednesday night is date night from now on, okay? Marvel Comics cle- superhero titles are getting a fresh new start. Come May 2018 with quote new series new creative teams new directions new beginnings i don't know who the quote's from the publisher made the announcement with a teaser video and a jim chung pinup featuring many but not all of their current stars most notably bruce banner is the hulk thor odin's son dude thor is restored to heroic status because we know there's dude thor and lady thor that's how we do it yeah yeah dude thor with what appears to be a golden version of mjolnir and an armed match. I like the black arm. Marvel's senior VP of publishing and executive editor Tom Brevoort warned not to obsess too much about the teaser image, saying, quote, don't read anything into not seeing a character on the Jim Chung piece. Meaning, <laughs> it's like when you had, you know, you were in a relationship and maybe it was you or maybe it was your significant other and they did something wrong and they would go, you can't be mad, you know? <laughs> You're right. So, like, if you're looking at the Jim Chung piece and you don't see Squirrel Girl, don't right. freak out that there's not going to be any Squirrel Girl content in the new Marvel. No, 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 no. So here's what we know so far about a fresh new start. They're going to slowly roll out announcements, as Marvel is famous for doing. Their first was a new Avengers number one by Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis. Who, where has McGinnis been? He has not been around for a little bit, right? Um... I mean, he doesn't. He hasn't had like a long run on anything you yeah. know, in a little while. So this is featuring Marvel's Trinity. I wonder if they snuck that word in for any reason. Thor, <laughs> Tony Stark, Iron Man, and Captain America, alongside Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, and Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider. Why? Why Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider? Why Ghost Rider? Period. Ghost Rider's not an Avenger. It's a really weird addition. Ghost sure. Rider is not an Avenger. Like, that upsets me more than Wolverine or Spider-Man being an Avenger. It's just dumb. It's going to be the only Avengers title moving forward, and it will be published 18 times a year. <laughs> it just sounds ridiculous. Aaron, well, they, they did the same thing to the Ultimate, right. ultimate Spider-Man back in the day. They're like, we're just going to really push it out. Right. Aaron's story is going to be split between the present day and the Avengers BC team introduced in Marvel Legacy number one. I thought that Avengers BC thing was fun. Do I want to read about it monthly? I don't know. And are they going to do it like they, like 
Greg uh, Rucka did Wonder Woman, where one title was Modern Day and the other uh, one issue was Modern Day and the other issue was in the past, thereby really kind of screwing up the flow of the book. I I hope not. Uh, no, I think it might just be for the first story. Okay. And I, I think it's more like like they showed art from the McGinnis uh, McGinnis art from the first issue, and it looks like it's just like interspersed in the main in the main issues. Like right. They're not alternating. Okay. So I just think whatever's going on in the past informs the current day story. Gotcha. Black Panther is getting a new number one. Could of course Tanessi Coates and Daniel Acuna. Tanessi Coates is still there. They're never going to take him off. He's too good there. And Daniel Acuna, who we both enjoy very much, new series will explore the origins of the intergalactic empire of Wakanda that they teased in the Marvel Legacy one shot, but never Fun. really got to. <laughs> well, I mean, they were setting it up. I guess. So, um, Axel Alonso, who uh, was let go from Marvel some months ago was tweeting about some of these announcements. And so they've been working on a lot of these for a while. Right. So I'm not surprised that they haven't touched on the intergalactic Wakanda stuff yet. No, I, they knew I that suppose. This was coming. Yeah. And also I think Coates was telling a bigger story. He wanted to finish first, which is yeah. cool that they would let him do that rather than like, Nope, just do it. And you're like, okay, I'll fart it in there. Coates is also going to be writing a relaunched Captain America with artist Laniel Yu, who I think is a weird choice for cap. I like Laniel Francis Yu. I think he's a weird choice to do Captain America. Yeah, I'm curious about it. Yeah. The first issue of that is going to hit stands on the 4th of July with That's a prelude right. coming on Free Comic Book Day in May. Doctor Strange by Mark Wade and Jesus Saez. I love both of those choices. Strange in Space. Yeah, so um, you'll notice that as these announcements rolled out, my descriptions get less and less detailed. Because <laughs> when I wrote this story, there had only been like three announcements. And our show is, you know, we try to keep it under an hour. So. <laughs> right. Um, so basically the premise of this is that uh, Doctor Strange suddenly discovers that whatever powers him on Earth runs out of juice. Right. And he's got to go into space to find a new power source. Yeah, like the eye of Agamotto suddenly closes, and he's like, oh, okay, what's this about? Yeah, I think it's fun. Sure. Take a character, throw him into a situation that he doesn't belong in. Like, for example, to be fair, Ghost Rider and the Avengers. I suppose. But yeah, Doctor Strange in space, it's weird why I'm into it. It's Ghost Driver, by the way. That's not Ghost Rider. Yeah, you're right. Writer Nick Spencer is going to begin his long rumored run on Amazing Spider-Man in June. Eh, we'll see what happens. Alongside former Invincible artist Ryan Otley, I am so happy for Ryan Otley. That is, I am too. What a fantastic it's jump from Invincible to Amazing Spider-Man. Good, good on you, man. That is great. But nothing takes the wind out of my sails as much as saying Nick Spencer's the ongoing writer. Well, Nick Spencer has written stuff we have both liked. Maybe he can return to greatness, you know? I, maybe, maybe Amazing Spider-Man's a good place for it. Let's give him a chance, see what he does. And, it, you know, stay off the internet. Stop antagonizing people online. <laughs> Bruce Banner and is going to... Stop writing about fascists. Bruce Banner will return as... The Immortal Hulk, a new series launching in June from writer Al Ewing with artist Joe Bennett. We like both of those guys a lot and cover artist Alex Ross. The Never series will have more of a horror theme, returning the character to his roots as an unkillable monster that comes out at night. I, I don't get that part. <laughs> oh, no. So um, he's going to be like where Hulk now or what? Back in the 60s, when the Hulk was first introduced, Bruce Banner only turned into the Hulk at night. I did not know this. Yeah, it had nothing to do with him getting angry. It, it, like, the sun went down, he became the Hulk. That so, was how it worked. Wow. And, yeah, he'd, like, lock himself in this, he'd have to lock himself in this vault. Uh, just like yeah. me. Just like you. <laughs> um, and so I read about, I read uh, Ewing's interview about this, and it sounds great. Like, they're turning the Hulk into this real scary monster. He has yet to fully return. Uh, it's happening right now in Avengers. Right. But the idea is that, like, Bruce Banner can be killed, but the second the sun goes down, he wakes back up as the Hulk. That's and the Hulk is pissed. I really like the idea of the Hulk as a problem. I don't care for Hulk as a good guy. I like him more of a force of nature, like a Godzilla type character. And this sounds like they're going back to something like that, which is really yeah, cool. It, 
they, they're really kind of making it seem like he's this boogeyman that comes out to exact revenge. Yeah. It's like a ret- on the people that have wronged him. Return of the monster type thing. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. It's, it looks great. It sounds great. I'm excited about and it. And Al Ewing quietly, one of the best writers at Marvel. He really Definitely. is. He's so awesome. A new multiple man series launches in July from writer Matthew Rosenberg. I love this. With artist Annie McDonald resurrecting Jamie Madrox following his demise in Death of X, which was a dumb death and we didn't need it. And there was no yeah, reason to do it. Yeah, he died of uh, mutant chicken pox. Yeah, it was fucking stupid. I really uh, like Rosenberg. They're, of course, doing this multiple man thing because there is a multiple man movie supposedly coming, which, man. We'll see how that goes. I don't know if I need that. Venom is also going to relaunch in May from writer Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. Both have been super excited about it on Twitter. and it's- Donny Cates said that Venom is his favorite comic book character of all time. Well, see, okay. And that may be true. Donny Cates is younger than us, and I could see that being right in his wheelhouse. Yeah. You know, I mean. But it's adorable. He's so goddamn excited. I know. <laughs> Quicksilver is going to receive a new miniseries spinning out of Avengers No Surrender by Black Bolt writer Saladin Ahmed with art by Eric Wynn. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I love the writer. Ant-Man and the Wasp will team up for a new six-issue miniseries starting in June. I wonder why they're doing that. From writer Mark Wade and artists Javier Garon and Israel Silva. That'll be fun. That'll just be It will be fun, yeah. The strangely popular Cosmic Ghost Rider will spin out of the pages of Thanos for a limited series by his creator, Donny Cates. Ooh, we both love this guy. Unnamed artist. Yeah, ooh. Uh, I'm a big fan of his work. We both love this guy or girl. <laughs> Unnamed so, artist. Uh, do you know what's going on with this Cosmic Ghost Rider? I read a little bit about it after I saw you post this and was like, what in the fuck? <laughs> so Cosmic Ghost Rider is the Punisher. He's Frank Castle. At some point in the future, cursed into the Ghost Rider and uh, sworn into service by Thanos. Oh, boy. <laughs> So, yeah, it's super crazy. Uh, and so, like, sometimes he forgets that he's the Ghost Rider with all this terrible power and he's just, like, shooting guns all the time. All right. Let's, it's, it's pretty funny. Let's get into this. Brevoort is, of course, on Twitter and Facebook and anywhere else you can possibly follow him saying, don't freak out. This is not a reboot. This is not a relaunch. Everyone else is saying, I can't believe they're relaunching again. I have really bad news for all of you. Marvel and DC do this all the time. We are acting like they've never done this crap before. Like they've never yeah. tried to course correct. DC course corrected. It worked out very well for them. If yes. This, if this course correct works, I don't care that they're starting things over with the new number one. I want good comics from Marvel again. I, I'm with you. As long as Marvel's putting out good stories, I don't care. Yeah. And I know they're not rebooting continuity, but they are definitely relaunching their books with new number ones. Yeah. The Brevoort said that uh, the legacy books with the high numbers will also have, they'll have dual numbering like they did in the late 90s. So dumb. That's so dumb. No, it's fine. I'm I, into it. I hate it. Too it, many numbers. It's just, it's, it's just like when Yusagi Yojimbo says 105, and then on the inside it says number 148. Um, no, I, and I'm fine with that. I, I, we actually, Jared and I talked about that last week, where like Blade of the Immortal, for example, uh, or any of those long-running, you know, like Dark Horse books. BPRD, BPRD and Hellboy do it. They're right. like, it's number five in this storyline, and you open it up, and it's like, this is actually BPRD 149 or something. And, right, and so I'm fine with the dual numbering. It's like... Uh, appease the nerds like me that want to know that it's spectacular Spider-Man or like amazing Spider-Man is going to hit 800 in a couple of, uh, in a month or two. Right. And then immediately relaunch with a new number one. I mean, no, let that numbering continue. It'll yeah, be fine. Please, please. Um, but uh, DC, yes, has, has relaunched a number of times, but Marvel has relaunched their lines with new number ones. Four times in five years. Well, what's DC done it? Three times in five years? No, DC did it once in 2011 and once in 2016. So, like, they've done it two times in the last five or six years. Yeah, I guess last time was just sort of this gentle thing. Like, DC Rebirth was was the first relaunch since the New 52 started. Right which was the first relaunch since Crisis in 1985. So, but Marvel keeps doing this where they keep relaunching things with new number ones and they have these kind of shady practices where they place unreal order requirements 
on retailers to to get like the extra fun stuff. Oh yeah. And it gives them a short-term boost. But retailers are left holding the bag and then ultimately the numbers fall back down to where they were or below. Oh, of course. Yeah. And so tell good stories, yes, but this constant like recycling and relaunching it's it's bad. It's bad for the industry. I don't disagree, but it's also what's going on right now is also bad for the industry. Mediocrity is bad for it as well. And it's not getting them anywhere. And we don't know. I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not going to do that shit again after the backlash they got the last time they did this. I would hope they learn from that and they're just going to say, here's some new comics. You know, here's the one in 10 variant or whatever, you know, and just and play it cool and win back some love because right now they have lost quite a bit of trust from most retailers. Yeah. And, and most of these fr- most of these fresh start books that they've announced so far sound really good. Yeah, definitely. Ta- Ta-Nehisi Coates on Captain America, I'm absolutely on board for I that. can't wait to see what he's going to do with that. That Hulk book is going to be great. Amazing Spider-Man looks so much like it is trying to ignore the last 20 years of continuity. Not that they're actually going to ignore it, but it's like Peter's back in a shitty uh, apartment. J. Jonah Jameson's there. It's a, it's a status quo that we have not seen since we were teenagers, probably. Well, maybe it's a burp in reality or something. Maybe, yeah, I, maybe Spider-Boy was beating on the walls of reality. <laughs> sure. But like they're really trying to recapture this sense of the things that we loved when we were kids. On the one hand, for guys like you and me, that might be great. But for new readers that want like forward momentum and they want to see Riri Williams or Jane Foster – so far, I'm not seeing a lot for them. No, I think, unfortunately, we are going to quietly see a lot of them pushed to the back because they weren't the sales juggernauts that they wanted. It's not because it has anything to do with girls in comics or black people in comics. So shut up, asshole. It was a sales thing, you know, and unfortunately, like I said, several of them are probably going away. Now, we know from hearing from several creators that a lot of them aren't as well. Kate Bishop is beloved and has been selling well in the Hawkeye book. So she's going to stick around and things like that. And that's fine. That happens to all kinds of heroes. Like we can't get a running Nightcrawler series because it just doesn't sell. But people love Nightcrawler. You know what I mean? Well, and this weekend at um, Emerald City Comic Con, Bendis was asked if Marvel had found replacements for the, the titles that he was leaving, replacement writers. And he said yes. But they're going to make those announcements on their own. So we can expect to see Miles Morales. Oh, of course. Probably in his own book. Um, I'd be stunned if there wasn't a Ms. Marvel book with Kamala Khan. That book is actually very, very popular. I guarantee it. Yeah, I guarantee there will be. So it's just that right now these early announcements are very much pandering to the older fan. Of course. So we will see. I just hope they don't don't screw it up. And finally, from the don't get too excited about that Fox and Disney merger desk. <laughs> yeah. Brian K. Period Vaughn is writing a standalone Silver Surfer movie for 20th Century Fox. That's according to The Hollywood Reporter. Silver Surfer, colon, bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Legion, <laughs> Legion showrunner Noah Hawley. Also had confirmed previously that he was developing a Doctor Doom movie for Fox. But I think that quietly went away, right? That's not happening anymore. I haven't heard anything about it. I'm pretty sure it got shelved. The Hollywood trade said that Fox's plans for X-Men and Fantastic Four-related movies are unabetted by the Walt Disney Company's planned acquisition of the studio and other Fox assets. In fact, Brian Michael Bendis, who was hired earlier this month to script a Kitty Pride movie, is quoted as saying that the acquisition does not affect that project at all. Fox has two X-Men movies slated for 2018, Deadpool 2 and uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix coming in the fall. And they plan to ramp it up to three X-Men films per year in 2019 and 2020. Good God. Um, We know for sure that New Mutants is one of them. There have been other announcements like Kitty Pryde, X-Force, Multiple Man and Gambit, all of which are unscheduled. Yeah. So there's a lot going on in this announcement. You've got Brian K. Vaughn, of all people, writing a Silver Surfer movie. 
and 20th Century Fox carrying on like their company wasn't just sold out from underneath them. Right. Now, here's the thing. This sounds like shit talking. It sounds like a lot of shit talking right now. Like Fox is like, oh yeah, we're going to squeeze as much blood as we can from this stone <laughs> before we hand it off to Marvel. And when they get it, they're going to have a quivering dead corpse of the X-Men, you know? And just because someone is writing a film, they hired Brian K. Vaughn to write it, doesn't mean it's necessarily going to get made. I, you know, okay, all we'll right. See. Now, I hear, what, I hear what you're saying there, but if you just want some dude to write a film so that you've got forward momentum with a property, with an IP that you're about to lose... Why would you hire like one of the most sought after writers in the business? I mean, I don't know. I it's it's an odd choice, period. Like wherever he was writing this film, I would say, well, that's weird because Brian K. Vaughn has never really done any cosmic Marvel stuff that I'm aware of. And you've got the Silver Surfer in the cosmic Marvel universe without any of the cosmic Marvel stuff, basically. Marvel has such a grip on what's going on. Everything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now is going into space to deal with the Guardians of the Galaxy and, you know, Thor and Valhalla and everything that's happening in space. What do they have left at Fox? What are they going to do? They're going to fly around Annihilus well, and Galactus and the whole time? Or, I mean, they what? Certainly, they certainly, well, they have anything related to the Fantastic Four, so, yeah, they have, a, they could have Annihilus or Galactus, but... They don't have scrolls. We know that Marvel's got the scrolls, and it sounds like they're going to pop up in this Captain Marvel movie and stuff. It just, yeah, yeah. It just seems like a bad idea. I don't it, get it, other than, oh my God, let's make as much money as we possibly can before we lose this. I, I like the Silver Surfer, and I think that he's a fine, he's fine as a standalone character, but how do you sell a character that bizarre yeah. to the average moviegoer without tying it to something familiar like the Fantastic Four. And what scares me is you bring in a guy like Brian K. Vaughn because we're going to shake things up a little bit and we want to give you a different Silver Surfer. A Silver Surfer you've never seen before. you know. And they're going to try and do the current Silver Surfer, which is kind of tongue-in-cheek and cute. I don't need that on a movie screen. I really like the comic. It's wonderful. What the Alreds did with that Silver Surfer book was wonderful, but I don't need that on a movie screen at all. We'll see. It's it's weird. I, like, I think you're right. I think there's a little bit of this this mentality at Fox, like this little kid mentality. Yeah. That's like, well, fine. If I'm not, if I'm gonna, you know, if I can't do this, uh, or, or if my privileges are gonna get taken away, right? Then I'm gonna do everything I can well, while I can do it. It also just sounds super rushed. We're gonna do three X Men movies a year for the next two years. Okay. Uh, have you started making them? I mean, <laughs> like, like that, that's pretty they, fucking quick, you know? <laughs> they can't, they announced that Gambit movie years ago, and they cannot keep a director on that film to save their lives. No, and apparently they can't keep Channing Tatum, like, tied to it either. He keeps going, yeah, I want to do it, yeah, I want to do it, but I'm super busy with all this other stuff, so let me know, you know? I, I, it's just, I, I also don't want them to keep churning out shitty X-Men first-class sequels. Yeah. Because... I'm, I don't really have high hopes for this Dark Phoenix movie. No. Uh, X-Men Apocalypse was terrible. Yeah, not after what they did with X-Men Apocalypse. And it sounds like X-Men Apocalypse was the same thing, where it was rushed. It was rushed, yeah. and it was farted out, and there you go. So get ready for more watered-down X-Crap, but I don't know, man. It's, it, it sounds like a bad idea to me. So there's your nerd news for this week. And of course, we want to hear from you on these stories and everything we missed. There's a lot going on in Emerald City Comic Con right now. Yeah. But they're two hours behind, so we ain't got time for that. You can hit us up on the Ziggurat direct line at 402-819-4894. Share your thoughts with us on these stories and more for our cover-to-cover call-in show. You can call us live every Saturday morning from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time and watch the action live on our Facebook page. Now it's review time in the cigarette where Joe and I dissect two of this week's comics like fetal pigs marinated in ink. Joey. What? What are you reviewing this week? That is disgusting. I know, right? This week I'm reviewing Deathbed number one from Vertigo Comics. It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Riley Rossmo. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Myth. Hack. Sex symbol. Stark raving lunatic. All of these words have been used to describe Antonio Luna, 
the world's greatest living adventurer. Or at least he was until 20 years ago when he mysteriously vanished from the public eye. I know. (laughs) Now, the 90-year-old has returned and claims to be on his deathbed, which is where Valentine Richards, a failed novelist-turned-reporter, comes in. That's a great name. Valentine Richards. Val is hired to travel to Luna's remote castle home and uncover where the old star has been all these years. And just how much of what he says is actually true. But once Val starts to hear Luna's tale, she finds herself entering into an insane world of psychedelic violence and explosive supernatural diarrhea. (laughs) Sorry, adventure. Explosive supernatural adventure. Gotcha. So imagine the most interesting man in the world, you know, the character from the commercials. Yeah. As a naked monster fighting nonagenarian. And that just about paints a picture of Antonio Luna. Doesn't sound very interesting to me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Val Richards is a wannabe novelist stuck ghostwriting other people's stories. When Luna hires Val to write his memoir, she reluctantly takes the job and is thrown into this crazy world. She had no idea it even existed. Williamson spends the first half of the book building up the legend of Antonio Luna through flashbacks and stories Val is told on her way to meet him. Like in the beginning of the book, Antonio is born and his dad like rushes out to hold him up into the sky like the Lion King. Uh, Except they're in a swamp and there's monsters everywhere. (laughs) But when the moment arrives for Val to actually meet Luna, what she finds is a frail, sick man waiting to die Or so it appears. Then Williamson flips the script. Luna whips it out. Yes. I mean it. You know what I mean. And the mayhem begins. I don't don't follow. It, Matt. It. It. I don't. His dingus. Oh, okay. I just wanted you to say it. (laughs) I loved the idea that this guy operated in this secret world known only to a few. Val... Didn't even know who he was. She hadn't heard of him when she got the job. And as the story progresses and she makes her way to the castle and and to his room, she seemingly can't even see the encroaching danger that's hiding in every corner, like literally creeping up on them. Until she meets Luna for the first time. Williamson narrates the issue like a classic pulp novel, which I thought really helped set an atmosphere of adventure. It just kind of read like a classic adventure prose story. Very much so. Yeah. Deathbed number one is visually stunning. Thanks to some really great art by Rosmo and a kind of soft color palette by Ivan Placentia. Rosmo's character designs are fantastic. They have lots of varied shapes, giving a different exaggerated silhouettes to all the characters. It's an old character design trick from animation. Like you draw your characters in silhouette only and make sure that they're as different and varied as possible so that they read differently on the screen. Oh, sure. Okay. And it, uh, it really makes the book look interesting. Every character has got a very unique expressive shape. Like Val is short and squat. And Luna towers over her, and he's broad-shouldered like an upside-down triangle. Deathbed number one is an example of my favorite type of reading experience. It's a comic book that wasn't really on my radar at all. Where I went into it completely blind, I didn't know anything about it, and I ended up really liking it. Uh, Like you said, this is uh, another example of a, a new launch from Vertigo that's just really fun. They're doing a great job with these new books. Oh, yeah. And this is just going to be a six-issue run, and when it's done, I think it's going to be a totally great read. I'm really looking forward to more. I'm giving Deathbed number one a buy it. Yeah, the whole time I read this, all I could think was, this had to have been a Ulysses Bloodstone pitch to Marvel. Oh, that would have been so cool. It reminded me so much of like a Bloodstone story, and I was like, oh my god, this would have been wonderful. (laughs) Which, I'm fine with it here, too, because it's great. And Riley Rosmo doesn't get enough work. That dude is stupid talented. And he's also a super nice guy, from what I've heard. But man, yeah, I, I he is just, he just on display here. He looks yeah. fantastic. And I don't think he doesn't get enough work because he's slow either. I think he can crank stuff out. I think he just has... I think he picks and chooses his own projects. He does, but I also think he has a style that 
they don't necessarily think is going to work in a lot of like bigger superhero places. It's perfect for something like this. Right. Perfect. Like uh, the, the last thing I saw him draw was that Batman shadow miniseries. Yeah. Which was a perfect fit for him. That kind of old pulpy weird. Yeah. It worked really well, uh, but like he but wouldn't like be able to wouldn't, do, you wouldn't want him on detective, you know, maybe not. Right. You definitely not a, a more mainstream book, but yeah, here his artwork shines. Yeah. This is more great vertigo stuff. I'm glad DC is returning vertigo to this kind of prominence and I'm giving this a buy it as well. All right, well, let's get back to the mainstream DCU then. What did you review? The Fantastic Four is back in the pages of The Terrifics, number one, from DC, written by Jeff Lemire with art by Ivan Rice and Joe Prado. 32 pages, dig this. It's $2.99. What? Yeah. They're holding that line. Here's your solicit, bound together by fate, united by the spirit of exploration, and hope for tomorrow. The Terrifics are bound from the dark multiverse of metal are bound from the dark... Yeah, that's what it says. When Mr. Terrific, Metamorpho, Plastic Man, and Phantom Girl find themselves literally bound together... Okay, we get it. By a tragic accident, our team of unlikely allies must rely on one another to make their way back home. But a startling revelation on their return trip brings them face-to-face with a new mystery. Where in the universe is Tom Strong? Well, he's not... He's not bound together with the rest of them. Yeah, I don't know. He's bound to someone else, I guess. We're bound to find out, though. Hey-o! So far, we've had two books spinning on the Dark Knight's Metal event, and to be fair, they both pretty much sucked. So, here we go with number three. The Terrifics is Jeff Lemire's first team book for DC, I think, right? Um, yeah, maybe. Pretty sure. And it sees Mr. Terrific, a character that's been lost to mediocrity since no, he started. No, he, he, uh, he did Justice League, um... He did one of the Justice League books in the New 52, Justice League United. Oh, that's right. Justice League, un- Justice League Untied. That's right. Yeah, yeah. This book sees Mr. Terrific, a character that's been lost to mediocrity since he starred in Jeff Johns' JSA, returning to lead a team of other characters also lost to B and C status. Most importantly, at least to me, Rex Mason, Metamorpho, is back. I love Metamorpho, and I honestly can't even think of the last time I saw him in the DCU. Me neither. While Dark Knight's Metal has been an interdimensional roller coaster, Lemire lays out the basic story of it perfectly and drops Mr. Terrific right into the action. Other favorite B-listers like Plastic Man and Phantom Girl are along for the ride as well in what looks to be Jeff Lemire building a genuinely fun team book with no rules whatsoever. Prado and Rice have worked together several times, and the two have just blended into one wildly talented artist. Here they pack each panel with Kirby-esque crackle and nonstop action. I've always enjoyed Lemire's DC work, but not near as much as his Dark Horse or Valiant. It seems somebody at DC finally caught up on his run of Black Hammer, and they are letting him off the leash. Oh, yeah. Terrifics was a fantastic read with top-notch art and a cast that anyone who loves old DC comics will simply adore. I'm giving this a huge buy it. I loved it. Uh, Like, for the record, I could give a shit about this Tom Strong nonsense. Like, I think it's kind of dumb. You know, I'll be honest. When I got to that part in the book, there was a little part of me that went, oh, that's kind of sure. Neat. <laughs> you know, I, but I kind of like, like that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not like morally opposed to it or anything. Like th- that was work for hire work. Yeah. He owns those characters. Yeah. There have been other top 10 comics, not by Alan Moore th- that, you know, the, the, those characters that when they were interested in carrying them on DC did it, it's fine. Right. But I don't want Tom Strong tied to the DC universe. I just don't care. Well, we don't know that he is. I mean, this it's, You're right. it's another multiversal bleed type thing. I don't sure, know, sure. You know? And that's fine. If that's the case, then that's fine. Um, but DC is leaning into this Fantastic Four, that old school quartet adventure. Yeah. So heavily, like to the to the extent that like there is a big Galactus moment in this issue. Oh yeah, big time. Uh, it just really made me laugh. <laughs> I man, but th- what a perfect place for Mister Terrific. He's basically now DC's black badass, Mister Fantastic. I love it. Yeah, I do too. Mister Terrific is is a character that I have adored. Yeah, since he was introduced in the uh, late nineties in the Spectre by John Ostrander, and then he was a big part of Jeff Johns' JSA. I love that character. Yeah, and since the New Fifty Two reboot. 
Mr. Terrific has essentially been worthless. Well, they they just don't know what to do with him. They try to make him cool, try to make him edgy and whatever. And like the character yeah, is no ridiculous. Thanks. He wears a leather jacket that says fair play and has a T on his fucking face. He's a ridiculous right. character. Yeah. Just, just lean into it. Yeah. Just do ridiculous stuff with it. And that's what this is going to be. He's like the smartest guy in the DCU. He's got all this cool tech. He realizes there's a problem here and he's going to go out and he's going to fix it with science. You know, I love it. I love it too. And I really loved Plastic Man in this book. Yeah, he was great. Uh, my one complaint is that uh, they're carrying on – like they have to. They they can't like let these books sit on the shelf forever while metal keeps getting delayed and delayed. Um, but this book obviously takes place after the events of Dark Knight's Metal. Spoiler, it all works out. Yeah. Uh, but um, – like I love Plastic Man. The I, like when he wakes up for the first time and that egg, that egg shape just like gets a face on it. Yeah, and like <laughs> it just makes me smile. Plastic Man makes me happy. Yeah, he's a great character. I and love it. Lemire writes him great, and Ivan Rice does a killer version of Plastic Man. Oh yeah, him. And- yeah, I loved this book. I'm a little sad about Phantom Girl not being exactly what I expected. No spoilers. Um, but yeah, I loved it. It's a buy it from me. So those are our main reviews, but we want to hear from you, nerds. So we'll post them on TwoEditNerd.com. You can respond in the review section of the THN forums or on uh, Facebook on our fan page. Matt, what is that alarm? Joe, it looks like we've got him coming. Big time. The Moloids are rising up again, and this time they're riding Giganto. Oh, man. Okay, let's man the cannons and put these bug-eyed idiots back in the ground while we review eight more comics during... The ludicrous speed round! Ludicrous speed! Go! Floating Bunnyhead, number two from Skelenaut. I don't know what any of those words mean. <laughs> Iowa artist and friend of the show, Jonathan Sims, is back with another installment of his insane buddy book featuring characters like Armless Bear. I won't, read a, I won't read a buddy book unless it's insane anymore. <laughs> a magenta-haired former boxer without arms that happens to be possessed by an ancient demon. Okay. Slicey, the sentient piece of pizza that speaks only in pictograms. Oh, boy. And Raptoro, the sombrero-wearing living dinosaur-shaped piñata. Holy shit. <laughs> the title character is the least bizarre thing in this book, and I love it. Floating Bunnyhead is off-the-wall lunacy, exploding with creativity, great art, and really good production values. Uh, for an indie comic, Sims does a great job putting this together. And he's definitely a talent to watch. You can find this issue and more on IndiePlanet.com. And starting on March 7th, it'll be available on Comixology. It's a huge buy it. Support indie creators. Yeah, do it. Especially dudes as creative as this guy. Punk's not dead. Number one from IDW. Writer David Barnett tells a story of a punk rock ghost, one that looks and acts like Sid Vicious, but he's not. It's more the spirit of punk rock, and one kid can actually see him, it, or whatever. It's tricky. Martin Simmons is wonderful in art in this messy, angry, and often offensive comedic story. Punk's Not Dead is a wonderful addition to Peter Milligan's Black Crown imprint at IDW. I am liking Black Crown more and more with everything I read. I'm giving this a buy it. It's not Peter Milligan's imprint. It's Shelley Bond's imprint. Oh, I'm sorry. But Peter Milligan's sort of like steering the ship for all these stories. No, he writes one book. He writes uh, Bottomy Boy. Oh, I thought, he was, I thought it was Milligan. I thought he was behind. No, him. no. Oh, Shelley okay. Bond is the boss of Black Crown. Okay. Lockjaw, number one from Marvel. All right, listen. This is not a joke. Lockjaw, number one, is the best comic I read all week. Good Lord. To be fair... I didn't read that many comics this week, but Emmy-nominated Colbert show writer Daniel Kibblesmith brings us the Lockjaw D-Man team-up we did not know that we needed, and it's more fun than I ever could have expected. It's got fantastic art by Carlos Villa, too. I'm giving Lockjaw number one a huge buy it. I'm not kidding. It's really great fun. Okay. Pumpkinhead number one from Dynamite. Cullen Bunn takes on yet another book, and this time it's the logical extension of his Harrow County book at Dark Horse. Pumpkinhead was a terrible 80s film directed by effects master Stan Winston, starring an awesome monster summoned by the need for vengeance. Here, the murder of two Amish children brings Pumpkinhead back 
but he's not alone. There's more than one monster out there, and they're all coming for Pumpkinhead. I went into this expecting nothing, but I loved it. Cullen Bunn is really good at this southern gothic horror, especially when there's monsters involved. I'm giving this a buy it. Are you saying that Harrow County takes place in the Pumpkinhead verse? No, 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 not at all. It just sort of, it's like a southern gothic horror story. The Pumpkinhead verse. <laughs> Shiver Bureau, number one from Scout Comics. Sort of a cross between Sherlock Holmes and Ghostbusters, Shiver Bureau is set in a version of London beset by monsters, ghosts, and demons, and seemingly powered by a supernatural energy source. That's just London, though, right? I mean... Yeah, that's like normal London. <laughs> that's how it works. It's a fun premise, and it's well executed by writer-artist Walt Ostley. I enjoyed Ostley's art style, except the main character is drawn with this bizarre triangular nose. What do you got against triangular noses? What's your deal? Uh, everyone else looks totally normal, but he looks like he's wearing a giant cone on his face. Maybe he has a false nose. Maybe. Like it's, Tico Brahe, you know? <laughs> it is an odd choice, but I enjoyed the read overall. I'm giving Shiver Bureau a strong skin. Daisy Walker is a runner in a post-apocalyptic future where a meaty plant-based plague has turned a chunk of the population into sort of plant zombies. They have, like, flowers growing out of their ears and stuff. It's weird. Runners leave the confines of the protected remaining city-states to search for supplies, and along the way, Daisy meets an unlikely ally. There's fantastic art that reminded me of the Luna Brothers here by Emily Pearson, and a very human storyline. I like that Wilds isn't trying to do too much too fast, which seems to be a problem over at Black Mask sometimes, you know, where they're like, we got this cool premise and cool characters that are in it. Oh, and everybody has hoverboards, but it takes place modern day. <laughs> like, yeah, right. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving this a buy it. Black Panther Annual, number one from Marvel. I really enjoyed this anthology issue by T'Challa's most legendary writers. This issue is almost worth it for the Christopher Priest story alone, which reunites the King of Wakanda and Everett K. Ross. But I liked the Don McGregor and Reginald Hudlin stories, too. Tales of the past, present, and a potential future come together with great art by Mike Perkins, Daniel Acuna, and Ken Lashley. Yeah, I even liked the Reggie Hudlin story, even though I wasn't a fan of his run originally. Kiss my black butt! <laughs> this is another fantastic annual for Marvel. I'm giving it a buy it. Cool. Mira, Queen of Atlantis, number one of six from DC. Dan Abnett has been absolutely kicking ass on the monthly Aquaman title, and here he's writing Aquaman's boo, Mira. And she is a bad ass. After recent developments, Mira is injured and unable to even breathe underwater. Forced to flee the surface, Mira informs the Justice League of just how bad things are in Atlantis for her hubby. Abnet has transformed Mira from a damsel in distress into an empowered badass woman that's done with her husband's macho crap. There was some loose art by Lan Medina, but this was another great Aqua Fam story by Abnet. I'm giving it a buy it. Aqua Fam. Yep. Slork, slork. That is your ludicrous speed round, and slork, slork is the sound of Lockjaw getting hydrated before heading out on an adventure. As seen in the pages of Lockjaw number one. Beeps makes that same exact noise. <laughs> this onomatopoeia was submitted by Chase Magnet via Twitter. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, just hit us up on any of our social media platforms or shoot an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. After mowing down the bodies of countless rebelling moloids, it's time for Joe and I to retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. Where this week, we're preparing for the spring thaw by planting some seriously icky and sticky seedlings given to us by the Swamp Thing. Joe, these moloid corpses are going to make for great compost. While we prepare the seedlings for planting, why don't you fire up the THN wood chipper and we'll talk about our must-read picks for next week. It's a gross job, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> Just sprays them out over the field. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yellow and red chunks yeah. flying Woo. everywhere. <laughs> My pick for next week is Dr. Star and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrow's number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Jeff Lemire with art by Max Fiumara. It's 28 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. This dual narrative story set in the world of the Eisner Award-winning Black Hammer series chronicles the legacy of a Golden Age superhero. 
an aged crime fighter, desperately wants to reconnect with his estranged son, who he hoped would one day take the mantle of Dr. Star. Over the course of the story, we learn his World War II-era origin, how he got his powers, his exciting astral adventures, the formation of some of Black Hammer's greatest heroes, and more in this heartbreaking superhero tale about fathers and sons. In case you did not get it, this is essentially the Black Hammer version of Starman. Oh, without a doubt. It's not even uh, it's not even far off, you know. It's like, not even <laughs> trying to hide it. This is on the fucking nose. What I did not include in the solicit is the little sentence in bold that Jeff Lemire added at the bottom that said Joe Patrick, this is the book for you. <laughs> um this was actually going to be my pick for this week, but the book got delayed a week. Yes. I am excited about it. I love Black Hammer. Of course, we talk about it incessantly. Uh, and the only thing that I am enjoying, uh, the only thing I love more currently than the ongoing adventures in the Black Hammer universe is Starman. So, yeah, it's my pick. There you go. Matt, what the hell is Spider King? Spider King, number one, comes from IDW. It's written by Josh Van with art by Simone Darmini. 32 pages, $3.99. Here's your solicit. You're going to see why I'm excited in just a second. When a fleet of spaceships crashes into Northern Europe in 956 AD, a group of unlikely Viking heroes are the last line of defense against a brutal intergalactic warlord. Equal parts science fiction and fantasy, the Spider King follows the adventures of Viking warriors as they defend their world against alien invaders armed with futuristic technology Ugh. and impossible weapons, Vikings versus aliens. And the art, so Simone D'Armini, her art looks incredible. Could be a hit. So this is basically like Lake of Fire, but with Vikings yep. instead of Crusaders. Yep. And if you're not reading Lake of Fire, you're a dummy. That book is so good. This, honestly, the big hit here for me was the art in the previews. It looks crazy. Like, really crazy. Uh, Ulysses Farinas, kind of crazy. And sure. I can't wait for this. I think it looks really fun. Sounds, yeah, sounds awesome. The THN trade of the week goes to mine. A celebration of liberty and freedom for all, benefiting Planned Parenthood, oh, is a hardcover. Here they go getting all political again. Uh-huh. Oh. It's a hardcover from Comic Mix, written by Mindy Newell and Various, with art by, yeah, friend of the show, Andrea Shockling and Various. She's the only one they named. That's crazy. Yeah, so <laughs> weird how that happens. It's 240 pages for forty nine ninety five. I'm not really going to read this list too much other than to say that this was a fundraiser on Kickstarter to fund Planned Parenthood uh, last year back when the last round of talks was going around about it getting defunded. Right. So this is all about like supporting Planned Parenthood, letting people know how much they help millions of people each year. And it's got tons of great stories by great creators, Eisner winners, Harvey winners, Oscar winners even. Way cooler uh, than a bake sale. Way cooler. So much. And it's just full of stories about the importance of this organization, debunking myths about it and uh, the other services they add like cancer screenings and STD treatment and prevention. And it's got everything from like stories about superheroes to Greek mythology. And it's a great – book for a great cause our friends got work in it um i got my copy i actually got my hard copy in the mail yesterday oh neato and i'm really excited about it it is going to be available in stores next week support the book support the cause planned parenthood is important uh if you don't agree you can either just shut up or you can get out of here you could sit on a tax sucker yeah <laughs> So there's our picks for next week. But we want to know what you nerds are reading. Hit us up and tell us what you think we should be reading. What are we missing? Would you like us to read? What do you want us to read and review? Okay, I've even threatened that if one of you says, hey, Matt, or hey, Joe, you have to read this this week, we will be forced to do it. We'll just do it. But we're only picking one. We're not. You can't take over the entire you know, show. Sorry. Unless you're going to write it, too, which would take some weight off my shoulders. That would be great. Yeah, honestly, that would be awesome. Hit us up, will you, nerds? We want to hear from you. Temporal disturbance detected in the library. 
It's happening. Disturbance Our AI Alec Baldwin has detected an anomaly Temporal in the time stream and it's centered detected. around our collection of old wizard magazines. It always is. We got to get rid of these things. <laughs> For those of you who don't remember or are just too damn young and beautiful, before the internet, Wizard Magazine was Comic Geekdom's main source for comic news, rumors, and complete wastes of time. Now we have sites like, you know, Comic Book Resources and ComicBook.com do that for us. It's great. Joe, it appears we are being transported back to March 1996. Man, I don't even remember that year. On the cover, we have Fairchild and Grunge from... Gen 13. Gen 13, Randy Andrews' favorite, along with one of my favorites, Backlash. But Wildstorm was still hot as hell on the cover. We're also getting excited about the Crow sequel. Oh, man. Little do they know what's going to happen. (laughs) Well, no, Brandon Lee died during the original Crow. Our first story is about the relaunch of Harris Comics' Vampirella. (laughs) The Vengeance of Ooh. Vampirella. Oh, yeah. This was, uh, oh, Joe Casada was working on this. Wizard is super excited about big deals with Quentin Tarantino for his From Dust Till Dawn comic book, which is still running to this day and has won countless Eisners, as I recall. And now in its 23rd exciting year. We've got a story about Bob Layton. He's gone on vacation. In early December, a rumor spread like wildfire around the comic book industry. Bob Layton, acclaimed comics editor-in-chief, was gone from the very company he helped build. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. Yeah, it happens. It's so great because, like, these are all... It's, it's The state of comic book journalism has not changed at all. These are just little, like, these are tweets you would see coming from any of these sites that would click on. Things like, Miracle Man, on the way back! Marlowe and Company has agree- <laughs> agreement with a host of people and publishers that gives it the right to publish the acclaimed comic, Miracle Man. He was formerly published by the now-defunct Eclipse Comics and has been trapped in legal limbo for years. Bad news to, to Marlowe and Company, it did not come back. Man, Miracle Man, well, they were trying to get Miracle Man back way back then, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, it bounced around forever. I mean, that's why it was such a big deal when Marvel announced that they were doing it. It just nobody really cared. You know, I think it was too long. Liam Sharp, remember that name? He's still around, right? Yeah, he was. He worked on Wonder Woman. Oh, that's right. Liam Sharp, who worked on Wonder Woman recently, back in 1996, was getting ready to take over Death Dealer from Glenn Danzig, who was the writer at that point. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> With Simon Bisley on art. Ooh, really nice, really nice spread on uh, Terry Moore's Strangers in Paradise. Just examining the book. That's fun. Oh, and hey. We were just talking about it. They have the first look of Sandman's The Dreaming. Concepts in The Dreaming. Who? Yeah. The denizens of the dreamland include Cain, Abel, Eve, Goldie, and Gregory the Gargoyles, Lucian the Librarian, and Matthew the Raven, along with Merv Pumpkinhead and others. They always did these vital stats whenever they gave you, like... What do you need to know? Who? What? An ongoing monthly that features story arcs by a variety of writers, artists exploring exploring the dreaming, the dream realms from the Sandman through the eyes of those who visit there. Debut, Hi. the dreaming number one hits shelves April 17th, 1996. And now it's back, baby. We have a casting call for X Factor. Now, this is Marvel's relaunched X Factor with Forge and Mystique, Sabretooth, Polaris, Wild Child and Shard. Oh, man. So, Joe Patrick, I want you to put yourself back in 1996, and I want you to tell me who is playing Mystique. This would have been hot, young actresses at the time, actors and actresses. Uh, who do they pick to play Mystique? It's one that actually popped up in an X-Men movie. Oh, Jesus. Oh, really? Guess who I just found unhinged in time? Is it Wooly Toots? Wandering around 1996, it is in fact Wooly Toots. <laughs> Sit down, Mr. Toots. Grab a microphone. That guy could not stay put in one time. We are stuck in the Wizard Wayback machine right now, and we are examining Wizard casting the X Factor movie in 1996. Oh, sweet. You are on, baby. Is this one of the ones that I brought back when I was in the machine? I believe. Now, I want you to guess who they are casting as Mystique. Which X-Men movie was it? it? I'm not telling you that. This is 1996. So it can't be anybody that wasn't born yet. Come on, think. 
And they were, and it was Mystique. Yes. Who have any of the X Men movies come out yet? No, no. This is 1996. Famke Jansen. It was Famke Jansen is who they picked to play Mystique. Uh, Are you kidding me? I'm dead fucking serious. Because that was my guess. <laughs> That's what, you just guessed it. <laughs> okay, listen. Um, Famke Jansen didn't just pop up in one of the X Men movies. She was the main character in three X Men movies. Yeah, yeah I said she they... ended up she ended up playing an X Men in the in the early X Men movies. Okay, who do they want to play Forge? This is so great. Forge. Especially, okay, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a hint. They whitewashed the oh. fuck out of Forge. <laughs> That's what <laughs> was going to be my question. Okay. Uh, ben Affleck. No. Oh. Tall, badass. You, Nin- this is 96. This dude was probably at the height of his power. Not Jean-Claude Van Damme, but Dolph Lundgren. Nope. Steven Seagal. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Wait Steven a minute, Seagal. but Steven Seagal played a Native American in that one movie, right? No, he's an Inuit. Always. Yeah, okay. and I believe the movie was called I Am an Inuit. Oh, I Am an Eskimo is what I titled it. I Am an Eskimo. <laughs> Sabretooth. Who is your Sabretooth? You're not going to guess this one, but he's got the perfect voice for Sabretooth. Okay, well, we're not going to guess it. You're just he was in Highlander. Christopher Lambert. Clancy Brown. Oh, I was oh yeah, Clancy Brown <laughs> Christopher sure. Lambert. Oh, my God, no. What do you mean he wasn't that old? <laughs> Clancy Brown was in the original Highlander. He I was get old. it. In 1996, he wasn't that old. Yeah, he's old. For Polaris, they dug really deep and went for Victoria's Secret model Stephanie Seymour. Perfect. Bang a yeah. dong. She had already shown that she could act at that time. <laughs> in what? <laughs> okay, Wild Child. Now I'm going to give you a hint. Wild Child. This guy was fresh off the set of Airheads. <laughs> Brendan Fraser? Not Brendan Fraser. Uh, Wild Adam Child. Sandler? No, think think lanky and skinny and short and fuzzy. Wait, Airheads? Steve Buscemi? Steve Buscemi is what? your Wild Child. <laughs> I like, there's only three main characters in Airheads. And of course, Shard. There's only one choice for Shard. Halle Berry. Nope. Jasmine Guy. <laughs> Jasmine Guy. Uh, From Harlem Nights and A Different World. Dude. It's a different yeah, yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had those, she had big, kind of big goldfish eyes. And the one you're coming from. Oh, God, this is perfect. For the part of random, you would never guess this, but you'd have to get Brian Bosworth, right? Uh, <laughs> the boss. Dark yeah, Beast. Yeah, Brian Bosworth, 90s. for sure. They want the Dark Beast, played by WWF wrestler Sid, which, yeah, I'd be all right with that. That's fine. Val Cooper, you've got to get Kim uh, Basinger to play Val Cooper, right? She's the only person sexy enough to play sexy Val Cooper. Val Cooper. <laughs> when I think of Val Cooper, I definitely think sexy. For Apocalypse, they want the ILM guys to use computer imaging. You know, that's what we were calling it at the time. Computer imaging. Computer imaging for his hulking body. And we want the voice of John Vernon. He was the dean from Animal House. Oh, (laughs) dude. Now you X-Men are on super secret double probation. (laughs) Wow. Then we've got a spread on the art of a deal with Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld. They're returning to the doors of... Marvel. Marvel Comics. Marvel Comics, baby. Just in time. Heroes Reborn. Heroes Reborn. And there's this picture of Captain America with what can only be described as cancer because he is turning to the left, but his chest is also sticking out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's it looks like he's got a tumor. Who who wrote that? Who wrote that? One of the most infamous Rob Liefeld drawings. Say what? Who wrote that Fantastic Four for Heroes Reborn? Fantastic Four Heroes Reborn. There was Mark Sylvester. Alan Davis drew it. No. Oh, no, no, no. Brandon Choi. Brandon Choi drew it. That's right. Brandon what? Choi wrote it. Jim Lee drew the first five or six issues. Then Brett Booth took over. Is that then the following series of Fantastic Four? Was that the Alan Davis drawn one that came after that? After they killed, yeah, after uh, they killed Scott, the Reborn stuff? Yeah, Scott Lobdell wrote that okay. at first. Okay. Alan Davis. I, I want to read you Thanks. John I want, Burns. I, I really wanted to know. This is John Burns' quote, nuclear reaction to these two returning to Marvel. I'm utterly appalled, but as a professional, I really can't find anything wrong with it, other than he's utterly appalled. (laughs) It seems like a fairly canny thing for a business-oriented Marvel to be doing, but as a fan, I think it represents the death of the real Marvel, which has been bleeding for some years now. (laughs) Are you kidding me? John Byrne, baby. (laughs) The man does not pull punches, you know? There's a Twitter feed called John Byrne Says. Oh, no. That just um, parrots things that John Byrne posts on his message board. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. It's great. And it is awesome. It is fantastic. Uh, oh. Moving right along. 
We have a preview of The Crow 2, which turned out to be the highest grossing superhero film of all time, as you know. Yes. Now, this is fresh off the death of Brandon. Yeah, it was. Okay. So they had a very tasteful headline for this story with a pun in it. Okay. I want you to guess what the headline was. Very tasteful. And it's a play on the word crow. As as the crow flies. No, that would, uh, that would actually about, that would actually probably be more tasteful than what they chose. Is it about eating crow? Nope. <laughs> no, uh-huh. God no. <laughs> I like that. Well, joke. what is it then? The crow must go on. The crow must go on. <laughs> no. Oh my God. Oh, they took it. This is they this is it on you. Terrible. This is a great issue. Terrible. <laughs> So there is your Wizard Wayback Report from March 1996. It was a wild woolly time, and John Byrne was still a prick. That's what we can take away from this. (laughs) Excelsior! That is it for THN 477, but... 478, 478. That is it for THN 478, but before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, tell these nerds about the new question of the week. This week's question comes from Joe Bankus, casual comics guy on the forums. Where does he get those wonderful toys? How about we discuss favorite comics gadgets? I love it. Would you rather have web shooters or Batman's utility belt? What would you pick? Pace Pop Pete's glue gun. It's a solid pick. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to glue shit together. THN is a listener-supported podcast, and we want to say thanks to everyone that supports us on both PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds and your hard-earned cash, we would not be able to buy glue canisters for our Pacepot Peak glue guns. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to colorist Justin Ponzer, who's fighting a pretty tough battle with cancer right now. It's awful. It's really a awful. Go- yes. A GoFundMe campaign has been set up on his behalf, and his fans and industry collaborators are showing lots of support. We'll link to the fundraiser in our show notes in case you want to show your support too. Word to you, Justin. Keep up the fight. Yeah, he's too young to be dealing with this crap, so throw some cash at him. Let's help this guy out. He's a really talented guy. Hang in there, Justin. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might shoot his paste pot peak glue gun and glue your butt cheeks together. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Yikes. Yikes.